Welcome to the Red Half of Sheffield, a Sheffield United podcast by two American Blades fans. My name is Noah Snyder, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Chad Jarvis. How you doing, Chad? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, considering it's midweek, you know, looking back on last weekend, we did win one, and I was very surprised, but I did call the scoreline 1-0 minus the red card, I said, <laughs> in like the sixth minute or so. But yeah, I mean, it, it feels like there's a bit of optimism going into into next year, and I don't think it's going to be as bleak as I've painted the picture in the past previous episodes. Well, the win was good. Very happy to get the win, but we did have a couple of massive, massive let-offs in this game against Brighton Hove Albion, and we'll get to that in a moment. But, um, you know, I, this is really our first real podcast since the official announcement or the result in which Wolves beat us and we are officially going down now. And, you know, first and foremost, I want to apologize to our listeners that we haven't put out an episode in a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, work has gotten extremely hectic over here uh, for my part as Things are sort of ramping up. It looks pretty imminent, at least here in California, that things are going to be opening full board. And, you know, sports in particular are open in California. Football, uh, hockey, basketball can now all be viewed by uh, spectators in the arenas and in the stadiums. So, you know, that's a sign of good things to come. And hopefully it's going to be pretty imminent that once again, we will be able to see games at Bramall Lane. The hope is, is that a final game of the season against Burnley, that that's going to happen. I haven't heard anything to say that it's not going to happen to this point. Have you heard anything, Chad? No, I haven't heard anything. I think they're saying like 7,500 to, or for some reason, 7,700 come to my head. Or it might be as high as 10,000 might be allowed in the grounds, but they have started experimenting. They experimented with the FA Cup and the Carabao Cup final last week. They actually had Man City supporters in there and, and Spurs supporters in there. So it had been over a year since opposing supporters had been in a uh, football ground in it felt good to hear it. I listened to the match on radio and it felt good to hear opposing sides go at it. And I think the hope is to, to just have the last week of the season. They were thinking about doing the last two weeks of the season because you know how we switch one team is home on, on the second to last day. And then they're home on the, the last day. They were, they were hoping to do the last two weeks of, se- of the season. I haven't heard any update on that, and they haven't shot that idea down. So, I mean, only time will tell here in the next couple of weeks whether it's going to happen. But I think they want to have 25000 in Wembley for the FA Cup final, which is at the end of May. So that's promising news. I mean, very wow. promising news. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Wow, 25000 at Wembley, that would probably be the most amount of supporters – uh, for a- any football match in the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Then I'm guessing that the numbers are b- based on capacity because Wembley holds what 80,000 or something. Yeah. Something effect? like that. Yeah. Something like that. So, I mean, it's, it was 
I think it was like 20% or some, something. I don't know the exact number, but yeah, they, they said it was like 20, 25,000 people were going to be. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of people to be able to go into a ground. Okay. It, it seems like we're all coming out of this, which is a, a good positive sign here. Definitely. I mean, as a supporter of the Los Angeles Galaxy, they just announced that we're going to be allowed to have uh, 66%, two thirds capacity starting next week, which is really going to be incredible. I mean, it was nice watching some of the games on the last couple of weeks to to hear the fans and, you know, to hear the singing and the chanting. And, um, you know, I mean, you cannot match that. I mean, the pumping in of the of the audio of supporters on on the live TV is just it, it's so canned. I mean, you see, you know, you watch the games regularly and there's an obvious, very obviously nobody in the seats. And yet you can still hear, you know, we are the blades, we are the blades or what yeah. have you on for home games. And it's just kind of eerie, like, you know, a bunch of ghost folks. Uh, singing the songs or whatever, but yeah, looks like uh, spectating football in Europe and England is imminent at this point. Obviously, the hope is is that come the Championship League uh, season next year, next season, that we'll have full supporters back in the grounds. And boy, that'll just be wonderful. I mean, I. I'm curious, I'm very, and we've said this before, but I'm very curious to see our performances spurned on at home, you know, by our fans, by yeah. our support. Yeah, it could be a totally different side, similar to, to our, our run of form we had two years ago or last season. I mean, yeah. when we had full packed Bramble Lane, we were going away and had full full stadiums. It's almost like you can see the clubs that were in disarray when they had full stadiums have benefited. I'm talking like Aston Villa. Look at Aston Villa was shit all year. And then they pulled themselves out of the fire and then they come into the no crowd, no stadium noise, empty and they're playing they're playing outside out of their minds. I mean, you know? part, I think that's part of it. I think par- also part of it is they spent huge. I think they spent like upwards of 80 million on transfers in the last trans in that first transfer window of the season. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think maybe it's part of one and part of the other, but mm-hmm. I, I agree with your point, Chad. Yeah. So what do you say we get into talking about our match against Brighton Hove Albion one in which we did not play a three, five, two for the first time. I mean, in, in, a long, long time in memory, in recent memory. I mean, we've kind of played a modified three-five-two uh, at at times, but slotting McGoldrick in the ten position. But I mean, this was really a three-four-two-one with Brewster and Ben Osborne of all people playing up top, just behind McGoldrick. <laughs> and boy, Ben Osborne. Top, top performance in this game. Super impressed. Uh, He was everywhere, all the time. Johnny on the spot. He put in the cross that led to the goal. My goodness, Ben Osborne. If he can continue these sorts of performances, I see him featuring regularly in the first team come next season. Yeah, I mean, 
you, I, I believe we had a text exchange during the match, and you said Ben Osborne's man of the match so far, and then he gave that goal away, the, the goal that was called off. So right. I was like, well, well, there goes the man of the match there. <laughs> I said he just gave the ball away. It, it, was, no, he, it was mere minutes. It was like maybe just before that corner kick that happened. And, yeah, that was when I texted you, and then sure enough, I gave him the old yep. jinx. It's it was all my fault. I mean, thank God that that goal was called called back for offsides um, yeah. via VAR. But yeah, yeah. I besides that glaring error, I'd say that Ben Osborne was definitely one of the better players in this game for us. He, yeah, he did. He, I mean, he excelled. And like we were talking prior, before we got on here, like it, it's almost like a revival of some of these players. You know, Osborne out of nowhere. Bogle came back into the fold this weekend. Stevens has a couple of games in a row where he showed good form. Baldock back to his normal being a pain in the ass pest. I mean, it, it almost looks like since we have no pressure on us, we're playing our old style. I mean, even Brewster looked better, you know? It yeah. looked like he wasn't under so much pressure during this game, and which was a good thing. And so the whole team looked – good i mean as a whole i mean obviously we're dead last and we're going down but it, it just looked different and it gives you like that optimism building into next season man absolutely absolutely so minute by minute here i mean there was an early chance from brewster in the first minute but it was blocked and on that same attack mcgoldrick got ahead to a ball but it was skied and um it was easily the keeper's ball in the 11th minute, Basuma slipped a ball to Mope, who got in behind our defense, and Aaron Ramsdale with a, just another wonderful save, making himself as big as possible. I, I have to tell you, I feel like Ramsdale has had more highlight reel saves than maybe any other keeper, and I mean, that's probably down to the fact that our defense has been so shit, he's had to make you know a lot of great saves this season, but... I, I watch a lot of Premier League football, and I really do feel like Aaron Ramsdale makes a lot of really, really good saves. Yeah, I believe during the game, too, uh, the match commentary was they were saying Ramsdale with another world-class save, and it's just like I, I think it's a lot of what you had to say. You know, our defense is so shit that he's having to make these saves, but it's almost rounding him into being – becoming a better goalkeeper because he's getting all these live shots and it's not like it's on the training ground where he's getting these, okay, Ramsdale, you know, what's coming your way. You know, it's just like the spur of the moment. They're going to have a shot and Ramsdale has to save it. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, hint, hint for my man of the match. I mean, it's been for the last like 15 matches in a row, but the dude is playing out of his mind right now. And, I mean, if I could give him a high five, I definitely would because our goal differential hasn't been as bad as it could be if we had an absolute horrible goalkeeper. We could be minus 80 right now in goal differential. Right, right. I mean, if had we not gone out and, and procured Aaron Ramsdale, you know, uh, Wendy and Henderson left Sheffield United and um, we had that huge gap, I mean, yeah. Uh, we would be seeing Simon Moore or uh, oh God forbid Verips in there. And yeah, I mean, yeah, 
That would that wouldn't be good. Right. So in the 19th minute, this is our goal. Benno, as we had mentioned before, puts in a wonderful cross. It deflected to Brewster, who got it to McGoldrick, and he slipped it right past Brighton's goalkeeper, Sanchez, and Sheffield United go up 1-0 in the 18th minute. And really good finish from McGoldrick there. Um, who would have thought that after last year, McGoldrick would be our top goal scorer uh, come the end of the season? I mean, really. I, I don't know if that's a positive or obviously because of the situation. I mean, is it a negative? But the dude couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if it was three feet in front of him. And now he's got, what, eight goals in the in the league? I think I seven think, in the league and maybe nine or ten uh, in all comps. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not a bad return from a guy that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn last year. I mean – of course, we want to we want him to have you know more goals, and we want to have more goal scorers. That would have surely helped. But he's got over half of our goals that we have in the league this year. Yep. I mean, it's, I can't even think of of anybody else aside from you know Billy Sharp's nailed a couple penalties and, and whatnot. But geez, yeah. I mean, really, besides Billy Sharp and I don't know, Jaden Bogles had a couple of yeah. goals. I mean really not that many other players. I mean, I don't think anybody else is on five to this point. Billy Sharp probably is on five. I'm trying to remember because um, he got quite a few in, in, in the beginning of the season, but he's been injured for so long now. We we haven't seen him in a long time, and he's actually done for the season. But mm -hmm. yeah, and most of those goals were not from open play. They, they were goals from the spot. So um, yeah, I mean... Next season, as we mentioned time and time again, that is a glaring hole that we're going to have to fill in some way. It's not, I don't think, going to be enough to hope that some of these players go down to the championship and we think that they're going to absolutely piss it getting getting loads of goals. Yeah. I mean, look, you can say, you can say McBurney, he is a goal scorer in the championship. He can score in the championship. He, he proved that. Uh, when he was at Swansea, I mean, you can say a player like Lise Mousset could have a renaissance in the in the championship and maybe get some of that form back. You could say Burke, with his pace, might get goal more goals in the championship than he has had this year. I think he's only had one or two. But, I mean, we don't know. We're rolling the dice, really, because all of these strikers have been on such poor form to this point. We just don't. No, and we will know within the first three or four games. I mean, if we go down to the championship next year and in our first couple of games, you know, we get three or four goals in each of those games, I think it's going to be easier for us to score, but I don't think we're going to score at will. Yeah, yeah you're right on that one. I think the same way. I mean, you look at us like you just named all that firepower power we could possibly have next year. But I still think we're only going to win if we win games. If, if and when we win games, it'll be like 2-0. And it'll be like a comfortable 2-0. Comfortable and we'll have, you know, it'll be a, a game that will score two goals and we could probably score four or five. But it'll just finish 2-0. Or we'll have the 1-0. And it should be like 3-0. Yeah. Or, you know, it's it's going to be – it's one of those leagues where, you know, with as much firepower, 
we need to just come out of the gate and hope we can get off on the right foot and be firing on all cylinders because 46 games next year, that's a whole hell of a lot of more games than we're playing now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in the 24th minute, a poor pass by Brighton's defense. It gets to McGoldrick, who took a just a bad touch. I mean, he was in. And off that bad touch, Webster gets to it first. McGoldrick tries to get a foot to it, but he kicks up, fouls Webster, and gets a yellow card for his troubles. And uh, if, he, if that touch had just been a little bit better, I think he would have been in and might have had a chance at a second goal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals, you know. We've, we've been so close all year to just getting that, and it just it never results in anything. And I think I yelled that exact statement when that happened. It's just like I, I feel like I've yelled it like 150 times this year to where something is just served right to us. And if we just do the slightest of touch, we'll get to it. And we never do, man. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, that's form, that's confidence, and we haven't had much of either this season. So, yeah, uh, you know, like we said, here's hoping that next season we can find a little bit of that. In the 38th minute, Basuma had a good marauding run into our box, and Stevens, with a last-ditch effort, clears it out for a corner kick. Good form from Stevens, as we'd mentioned in this game. Really, really thought he played a good game. In the 41st minute, Basuma again had another half chance. This time it went over the bar. It was off by a mile. And Trossard got it to motor in the 43rd minute, but it was deflected out for a corner kick. And um, then we go into halftime. And coming right out of the half, boy, it was almost a shambles for us right after the, the kickoff. I mean, straight away, poor giveaway by Sheffield United. Motor drove it into the box. Lalana had a, a shot, but uh, Ramsdale was equal to it, and um, we were let off there for sure. And then in the 53rd minute, Ramsdale made another fantastic save on Mope, diving to his right, just getting a touch to it, and a lesser goalkeeper would not have saved that, and that it would have been 1-1 right there. Yeah, I, I just – I am not a fan of Neil Mope. I just – every time he got on the ball, I was like, I hate you. I do not like you at all. It's just he has, like, an arrogance that he doesn't deserve. It's like, okay, dude, you think you're, like, the greatest striker in the world and you play for Brighton. I mean, come on. He always is, like, flopping around, falling on the floor. Like, what are you doing, dude? I mean, you're, you're, you're not you're, – your team's not exactly – the greatest team uh, coming from our perspective, but it's just like, why? I just, I watched him in too many games this year and he like incites the other players into kind of like getting all going off the boil and trying to get them yellow cards or potentially red cards and stuff. I just, I'm not a fan of him. And I said that like, yeah, I just, I just don't like him. He's God. I'm glad we don't have to play him. He, he's the type of player where when he's when he's on your club, I mean, you love him, but it, I mean, if it, for the opposing supporters, I mean, you absolutely hate him, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ball, ball ducks the same way, you know, I'm sure from the perspective of other fans, they think ball ducks an absolute cunt, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, from our perspective, he's, I mean, he's great, you know, okay. especially when I he do. gets under the skin. So 
yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, it's the type. He's the type of player where if he's on your team, you love him. If he's not on your team, you hate him. So, in the 56th minute, another flurry from Brighton off of a corner kick. Welbeck got a touch to it, and it goes off Osborne, and it appears that uh, Motor had scored, but VAR reviews it, and we are given a massive let off in in the context of this game and uh you know motor had come from an offside position and what was interesting here from our perspective in the united states they didn't even let us know that var was checking it and we thought it was confirmed that it was a good goal for the longest time what seemed like the longest time at least and then finally they said oh uh, yeah he came from an offside position goal doesn't count but nervy moment there for sure and um, Osborne almost, uh, that would have been the narrative really had that goal counted. It would have been Osborne played well until that moment. He gave, yeah, he gave the ball away, but I mean, no, it, it, you know, we, we slack VAR off all, all this year and, you know, we both, we both hate it or we're not fans of it, but, you know, thinking, thinking about next year, we're going to be having no VAR and that goal would have counted. So it would have been one one. So I mean it's just it's one of those deals where you, we've got to get used to that stuff going into next year knowing that there's hey there's going to be no VAR. So goals that are probably going to be offside are probably going to count against us. And you know, we're going to have our fair share to go into. So it is what it is, but yeah, we got let off severely by that one. Yep. Absolutely. So in the 61st minute, McGoldrick had a shot, but it was a really easy save for Sanchez. And I, one of the things that I noticed um, in that second half is, especially after that supposed goal went in and then was called off by VAR, I mean, Brighton had the majority of possession. I mean, we could not get it under control. And yeah, they the majority of possession was Brighton's to that point, And they just had seemingly chance after chance after chance 65th minute basuma had a good strike that went wide from just inside the 18 yard box and not a couple minutes later um well wellbeck almost got ahead to a ball that was put into the box but brighton's best chance of the game came on a drive from johanna bash who crossed it into mope who should have scored i mean he was not more than one yard out and uh he puts it over the bar from like one or two yards out well inside the six yard box and i'll tell you those are the type of chances that keep you up at night if you're neil mope right yeah and i was glad it happened to him because you get what you deserve you little prick and uh so when he missed that sitter like thank you thank you thank you neil mope for missing that because I don't know if it's just me, but I've noticed a lot of games that I've watched, especially in the Premier League this year, a lot of goals have been missed from absolute point-blank range. I mean, dead-on sitters. I don't know what they're doing to get the ball to go five miles up in the air over the bar, but it's just like, how are we putting this motherfucker over the bar? The goal is gaping. Just slide it home. And it goes yeah. whoop, over the bar. I, I don't get it. Well, to be fair to Neil Mope right here, I think 
what he was doing is he was trying to take the ball from behind himself and touch it in uh, like into the net. But um, yeah, just hit off the top of his foot and went way over the bar. So in the 75th minute, Burke took it on the right-hand side of Brighton's 18-yard box, and he slipped it into Balduck, who put in a cross on the ground to Bogle, who should have struck the ball with his left foot, opted for his more dominant right foot, and it was so easy for Sanchez. Disappointing, should have had at least, at very least, a good shot, if not a goal, but um, a good bit of play from Burke there, good cross from Balduck, and it was just poor finishing, really. Poor choice by Jaden Bogle to take it with his right foot rather than his left there. Yeah, at least he's uh, back in the fold in he's having a shot, you know. He's not uh, – You where was this Bogle – I missed this Bogle that was taking chances in the box and had scored a couple of goals or, earlier in the, in the calendar. And it just it seemed to go away, and it's good to see him back in the side, and he actually shot the ball. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely, Chad. I, I I agree with you. And you know, you you'd hope that this is the side that Hecking Bottom and Tyndall are putting out through the rest of the year, um, continuing to play Brewster, getting that lad's confidence up because this is the team. That, I mean, you know, absent some transfers, what have you, uh, ahead of the transfer window next season this is likely going to be the team that we're going to see on a, on a regular basis you know you you assume that that bash and that joc are going to be coming back uh, you hope that they're going to be coming back um and that we'll have that full back line for the majority of next year mm-hmm. so i hope this is the side that we're going to see next year the side that featured this week in our game against brighton but i mean we don't know at this point could be a manager comes in and completely changes the formation. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. So in the 80th minute Trossard got in, but couldn't do anything and put it right into Ramsdale 85th minute. Miss Kyoto takes a shot from 30 yards out and Ramsdale makes a really good save. It's likely that it probably would have been out, but it was close enough to his left post that he had to make the save there. Last real chance that Brighton Hove Albion had, Joanna Bash puts in what looked like a cross, but it, it sailed close enough where Ramsdale went up for it, but uh, he didn't even have to make a save on it. And that was really it. I mean, we killed off all four minutes of stoppage time, and Paul Heckenbottom gets his first win as Sheffield United interim manager, maybe. <laughs> Because he's going to be in the running, I think, for the full-time manager gig. He'll, he's amongst the five named, but we will get to that in a moment here. And for me, Ramsdale and McGoldrick, top players. Chad, who who is your man of the match in this game? My man of the match, of course, was Ramsdale for the fifteen thousandth time. And like I said, he's going to be my mat. He's going to be my man of the match for for the whole season. Even every game in the championship, he's going to be my man of the match because I love Aaron Ramsdale so much. Better than any any goalkeeper in any top side. And a couple of weeks ago, there was some there was some rumors saying that a top club were interested in getting him. Similar to, like, you know how Henderson came 
out of nowhere, and everybody's like, "Who's this Dean Henderson guy?" Not knowing that he was he was on loan from United, but yeah, Ramsdale was just like, "Oh wow, Ramsdale! He wasn't this good at Bournemouth, but he's making some world class saves here in the last couple months." You know, the the bigger teams are starting to stim, sniff around him. I hope I hope he stays with us, but I, I think he will. You know, his Sheffield United was his boyhood club, the club that he uh, that he came up with in you know in the under 23s and I think was it also the under 18s as well I, I'm trying to remember yeah. um so I, yeah I mean I, I think he is gonna stick it out with us he he signed a contract and um I hope that we wouldn't transfer him in the off season I mean he is our he he when Wilder brought him in he was supposed to be our franchise goalkeeper for you know the next seven to ten years yeah and yeah. It's my hope that he does stick around, and I think he could be instrumental in us trying to claw our way back into the Premier League if we're going to go for it next year. So I kind of want to pivot here and talk about something that we actually don't talk a lot about on the Red Half of Sheffield, and that's kits. And we had a kit leak that happened this past weekend or in the last couple of days, and looking at the design for our, I guess, proposed either away kit or third kit for next year, it actually looks pretty good. A lot of the comments that I've seen are that it looks like a a Southampton kit and um, it's got that stripe, you know, that sash sort of stripe, but it was like black on gray. And I actually thought it looked pretty good. Somebody also said it was a black and white photo, so I don't know if that's those the actual colors of it, but I kind of like the sash. Um, I mean, if it's not our home kit, if it is indeed our away kit, I do kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, like like you said, you don't know if the, if the color was black or black or in black and white, but I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely buy it. I would definitely get it for for next year. I mean, in to be honest with you. The last couple of years, the kits have been pretty decent. I mean, we had that cool green one that, you know, we haven't worn much. We've only worn, I think, a handful of times our third kit this year. I'm a fan of the pink kit. Apparently, nobody is. I like it when we wear it with white shorts instead of the dark black shorts. I'd be, I'd be down with, I'd be down with a little bit of that, that black and black on gray type, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, look, with the exception of our, our home kit, I haven't been too disappointed with our kits. I think the pink is fine. Um, as an away kit, it's not my favorite. I mean, I much prefer the, the white kits that we had last year as an away kit. Um, but with that being said, I don't, I didn't hate the pink. I'm just not the, and I'm not even like, you know, pissed about, the like how the kit looks up until like the chest area it's really the shoulder patches and the fact that the stripes don't continue up into the shoulders of our our current home kit um that i'm not super pleased with i much preferred last year's kit that was the red on white um or i'm sorry the white on the on the red rather than the red on the white of of this year's kit you know yeah. And it's curious to see, you know, obviously we're not going to have USG as our sponsor next right. season. So 
it's curious. It all has to play with, you know, what the word font is and what the sponsor's name is, you know, so who knows what it's going to look like. Obviously it's just a leak, but you know, there's no telling what it it could look even better with, with the right type of, of wording on there. You never know. Yep. And the, I mean, the other thing that based on the leak, this also means that, you know, Adidas is going to be making our kits next year. And it's not going to be that 13 X one, one, one or 13, whatever, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to be that company that makes beer shots kits. So I, I mean, I'm glad cause I do think Adidas produce good kits. All of my favorite clubs for the most part, um, their kits are made by Adidas. And I think the material is good. It's breathable. Um, I frequently wear them when I'm exercising or, you know, playing a little footy in the park or what have you. And yeah, so I, 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 it's my hope that Adidas continues to make that kit. I mean, what, what would you like? I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I, what would you like to see from a home kit next year, Chad? I mean, it's hard to go. I mean, obviously, it's going to have to do with red and white, but I mean, and stripes. I mean, yeah, to, and stripes. Yeah, it's stripes. vertical stripes know. at that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we can't. There can't be too many variations of, of the kit. You know, I mean, it, obviously, the 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 name on the front of it, like we said, is going to change. But is it where you go? I mean, do you take the red and white stripes and go? on a slant i don't know i mean there's not too much i can ask for i mean like you said i would agree with you how the 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 red and white stripes stop at the collar or stop at the shoulders on this kit this year if they could make that like fully all the way around all it goes the stripes just continue it's just one giant stripe from front to back or to seam one one stripe from seam to seam that would be good but I mean, I, I it, it's hard to, it's hard to like fathom any other design of a kit, you know. Well, I, I what I can tell you, what I've liked at least from our past with Sheffield United kits, um, is I like when there are the red and white stripes, but the white stripes are slightly smaller than than the red stripes, and there's like a little bit of a, like a liner, like either a gold or a, or black, like trim or a liner um and i'm you know i'm thinking about the old kits from from the 90s those kind of had a little bit of that look i mean and those looked class you know those looked really good um so maybe you know kind of a nod to that with you know the the next season being the 21 22 season maybe they don't do that until you know, the 30th anniversary of the Premier League and and those kits, you know, being introduced. But it's right around that time right now that mm-hmm. that those iconic kits from the early 90s were were released with the Laver Laver sponsor, you know, yeah. everybody. Those I mean, in my opinion, that's one of Sheffield United's most iconic kits. Yeah, I mean, you know what we should do for next year? This just popped into my head. Let's scrap the red and white stripes for next year, and let's just go with neon yellow or green. But we had a third kit a couple of years ago. That neon green, well, even last year, too, when we were in the prep, our third kit that they never even released that kit to sell. 
I mean, I dig that color. That is a cool looking color. And you know, all these the younger generation now, they're all about having fancy kits and five hundred different colors. You know, because for the longest time, it used to just be home and away, home and away. And then we started introducing, hey, let's make more money and we can do a training kit and we can do a third kit. But, I mean, I, I want to see us go back to the neon green or yellow. That would be cool. Look like highlighters running out there. <laughs> I actually do prefer either more primary or or regular colors, you know, I or white or black for an away kit. I, I, I don't know. I Cause that's just how it always was back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. it was always, you had your prime, your, your first color on your home kit or your mm-hmm. first, co- your first colors, your primary colors on, on your home kit. And then your away kit was typically white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, and if you go bar, if you go back far enough, I mean, really there wasn't a whole lot of variation. Maybe you had an away kit. But most yeah. most clubs just had the one kit, you know. I mean, and how many teams in England have red and white stripes, blue and white stripes? Yeah, uh, red kits, blue kits. I mean, there's back in the day when they started these clubs, there wasn't a very. It's like the color wheel was really small, and they're like, we have these, we have these six colors to pick from, and we're gonna every team in England is gonna have something to do with one of these colors. Yep. Yep. I want to move on here. We have a game at the weekend. It's against Tottenham Hotspur. And, boy, how do you think we're going to line up against Tottenham Hotspur, Chad? I mean, why bro? Why change a, a team that has just come off of a victory? I'm saying put the exact same lineup out there and play that formation how we played and see if we can hang, hold our own against the big dogs. You know, let's give this a shot. With, I mean, Osborne's been playing out of his freaking mind, so we might as well. Stevens has been playing good there. McGoldrick and Brewster played very well together up front, so let's just ship that same lineup out there. I don't know what has happened to Ampadu, though. That's my only question. Why has why has he gone missing? Has there been a knock? Has there been... He was on the bench and he was prepared to come in. So I don't know if it's just a little bit of rest for what reason. I don't know. I mean, we don't have anything to play for, but I, I mean, that would probably be the only change that I would put in there. Other than that, I really enjoyed watching us play in that formation we played. Yeah. Same, same. I, I, I too enjoyed that, uh, that three, four, two, uh, two, one. And how do you think you think Spurs are going to utilize the same lineup that they used in that Carabao Cup final game that they had against Man City this past weekend? Yeah, they, I mean, there's not much. You know, obviously they have sacked Jose and Ryan Mason's their interim manager or, or could be permanent. I doubt he's going to be permanent. But you got the likes of Son and Kane, you know, all the big names. Lucas, that, Gareth yeah. Bale coming off the bench. Yeah, Gareth Bale scored their first goal in the Ryan Mason area against Southampton. So, I mean, the one thing is the Spurs have conceded a lot of goals. Yes, they only lost to Man City 1-0, but they've conceded a lot of goals in their last few games. So their back line has been kind of chop and change, and it hasn't been the same. So that could be a weakness, you know, but I don't know. We're not going to have much of the ball, I would assume, because – 
we're playing Spurs and they're going to control the game. But I would like to just see us go at them. You know, play this. It, it sets up perfect. We're coming off all kinds of momentum. We're coming off of a win. We have nothing to play for. Let's go out and try and shock them. Let's go out and try and beat them. You know. Yep. Or if if not, let's try and score one more than one goal. I would love to see us score two goals. Yep. I would just we could get beat seven two, but as long as we beat we scored two goals, I would be so happy. Well, I'll I'll tell you. I mean, you, you even look at their bench, and Tottenham have such a good bench on paper. Oh yeah. And Deli Ali, Bergwine, and Dombele. I mean, they have class, absolute class on their bench. Don't like Spurs, but you have to respect them because they have a lot of talent. You know. Yeah, they 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 could be coming back to the pack, so to speak. You know, with with all this rumor, they could be on the outs. Of, of not even qualifying for Europe, no Europa League, or, or they're, they're still within a shout of Champions League and Europa League. But Harry Kane said, he says, if they don't, if they don't win trophies, and obviously they haven't won any, anything since 08 in the League Cup is the last time they won anything. But if they don't qualify for Champions League, he's gone. So what does that do for Spurs? They're going to sell him somewhere, either – Manchester United are rumored he's going to go there or he go, could go to Real Madrid. But it Spurs could be in for a shakeup, and I love every every bit of it because this team wanted to compete in the Super League, and they are so bad. Yep. Them and, and, and Arsenal, I mean, it, it's great justice that they have sucked this year, you know? Yep. It makes me happy they suck. Well, what do you think the uh, score is going to be at full-time, Chad? With all that being said, I'll probably go for a 2-0 loss. Yeah. I mean, I could see us getting a goal and finishing 2-1, to one, but I think Spurs are going to get one really early because, like I said, they want to try and get in Europa League on a long shot for Champions League. So they want to go and take care of business against us. So they'll probably get one or two in the first half and just kind of – they probably won't make it out of second gear against us. And we'll just kind of flounder around in midfield. we we'll have a couple shots, but – I mean, nothing doing against a big six side. Yeah, I'm also going to say 2-0. Harry Kane seems to always score against us. And uh, who else? Probably soon. Soon soon will probably score against us as well. His pace is so wicked. I mean, it is. he has probably the most pace of any player in the league. He's pretty fast. He is. is. If you get him alone by himself... That if you give the ball uh, a good through ball to him, one on one with a keeper, he's beating him for yep. sure. Yep, every time, every time. So I think that's all the time that we have for the red half of Sheffield. So I, as we mentioned before, the, there was kind of a break in us putting out episodes, and what we had previously done is we did record a episode about the Super League and our thoughts and our take on the, you know, very, very short-lived European Super League. If you want to listen to that podcast, it is coming up right now after this podcast. So once we do our typical ending, say Up the Blades, continuing, uh, continue listening and you'll hear our thoughts on the Super League. It's just a short mini episode, maybe 20, 30 minutes long. But give you our thoughts. And 
As always, if you want to find us on social media, please check out at Red Sheffield on Twitter. If you have a Facebook, which I'm assuming is most of you, and you haven't given us a like, please like our page at the Red Half of Sheffield. Chad, where can the folks find you on social media? They can find me at Blades in the USA on Facebook and Twitter and on Instagram at Jarvis underscore 13. And you can follow me, Noah Snyder, personally at Sunpuck on Instagram and at Nestman930 on Twitter. Until the weekend when we play Tottenham Hotspur, up the blades, Chad. Up the blades. Come on, you red and white wizards. Welcome to the Red Half of Sheffield, a Sheffield United podcast by two American Blades fans. My name is Noah Snyder, and I'm joined, as always, by Chad Jarvis. So, Chad, uh, anything big happened in the last 24 hours? I mean... <sighs> Not, I mean, <laughs> 24 hours, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't really know if we're relegated or not, <laughs> you know, Based on the information that's coming out, I think we're kind of in a holding phase at the moment. You know, I just think we're going to play the rest of the games out and see where our cards lay at the end of the season with all this BS that's come out in the last 24 to 36 hours. So unless you've been living under a fucking rock or been in a coma, it was announced on Sunday while everyone was asleep, mind you, that six clubs from the Premier League, a couple clubs from Serie A, and um, several other clubs, I think it's right now it's 12 in total, are forming this European Super League with three clubs TBD to be determined. And what a fucking mess this is. I mean, they are, as others have put it, literally killing football. Mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, obviously, as many of you have heard, the English FA and the respective FAs from the other countries that include clubs that are forming this European Super League have come out in no uncertain terms condemning the whole thing. Um, there's talk about expulsions from their respective leagues. There's talk about no Champions League football for any of the 12 that have already signed on. And then, you know, I mean, the original plan, okay, so the original plan was to include the top six from the Premier League, that's Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea, Tottenham, and, you know, and then Barcelona, Madrid, Juventus, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and I think PSG was originally included in there. and so As well as Bayern. Bayern Munich and um, uh, uh, Dortmund as well. So, I mean, those were the, you know, the original clubs. And what the craziest thing of all of this is that it was being planned for months and months. And look, there have always been kind of like rumblings, talks about it. But the fact that this was conducted in secret meetings without the FA's knowledge, without FIFA's knowledge, without UEFA's knowledge, I mean, is crazy. And then they just come out and announce it. And I mean, the good news is that the genuine support in England, of these clubs are strong, as strongly condemning this Super League as as the, the, those organizations have been. 
because it's fucking awful. I mean, it's killing, it's going to kill football. Really? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, the competition is, is what it's all about. There are players that have come out in the last 24 hours that have said, I mean, what makes football great is a tiny ass team can come in and shock the world beating one of the top clubs. And now those teams aren't going to get that opportunity. They're not going to get the opportunity, you know, to go to Stamford Bridge, to go to Old Trafford, like for these for the FA Cup ties, because they're not going to be able to play in the FA Cup anymore. And I mean, just up and down the ladder, it is going to ruin football. And you know what? Like, obviously, the joke has been as far as the Sheffield United perspective has been, oh, the blades are staying up, the blades are staying up. Now you're going to believe us. But at the same time, that's not how I want to stay up. No. I mean, if we're saved and they just bring the, the six championship uh, clubs, the top six championship, those who f- would have finished in playoff positions, if they bring them up, I mean, so be it. If it is what it is and that's how we stay up, I mean, it's not the way I would have gone about it. I would have liked to have tried coming out next season fighting. But at the same time, it's like you take it. But still, what a fucking shambles, Chad. Yeah, I mean... I don't know what to make of it. You know, it, it's hard. You know, I, I'm totally against it, regardless if it means we're staying up or, or going down. That is is the last thing on my mind. The The thing that really irritates me is when when I talk to the American supporter of of the big six clubs and try to get their opinion. And when when they're so naive and gullible in, in saying, well, We've supported this team for 20 years and they've been they've been a great top six team. We're still gonna root for them. It doesn't matter where they're gonna pay. And I'm just thinking to myself, you cannot be any dumber. You're just gonna throw money at these clubs and say, I'll pay three hundred dollars per match to watch them on a on a TV screen to watch them play Barcelona this week and then Real Madrid in the next week and in whatever. But it's just so people are so narrow minded when it comes to this stuff to, you know, they don't even think about the, the smaller clubs and how how, how affected clubs are going to be. If you take these top six teams out, what does that do for parachute payments for teams going down next year or, or whenever we get get what relegated? Does do, what does it do for revenue sharing at the end yeah. of the season? The, the TV rights are going to go away because you're not going to have as many people invested in in the prem because you're you're taking your top six teams out of there so you're losing a huge chunk of the fan base sky's not going to want to show it as much bt's not going to want to show it as much over here nbc and peacock are not going to want to stream it as much the same goes with with the rights for the fa cup over here espn plus they stream it they're not going to want to carry it as much because people aren't going to tune in because they're going to lose a 95% 95% of the fan base over here in America supports one of those six clubs. I mean, you have the outliers like you and me that follow Sheffield United, Wolves, Crystal Palace, Everton, stuff like that. But that's not gonna be that's not gonna be enough to support the league to where we're getting enough viewership compared to compared to, to what it is now. I mean, it, it's the most watched league in, in the world. The Premier League's the most watched league in the world. I mean, you're taking the tops, the most influential six teams in all of the world out of a league, and you're just gonna you're just gonna fuck the whole the whole situation up. And not to mention, 
what is going to happen? What's going to happen to these sides like Wigan and Bolton that over the last three or four years have been in major financial trouble and have leaned on these these almost handouts to keep their 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 team going? Yep. And hearing this, they might they might as well just go shut the doors right now and go out of business. They're not going to be able to survive on the the low amount of money that's going to get trickled down to the period pyramid to to keep them going it's just to me it just it drives me insane when people that have just watched top six sides and have never delved into the championship in league one and league two they don't really know what makes football if you watch those other leagues you'll know what makes football yeah the premier league is all fancy ticky tacky passing pretty uh superstar uh soccer players it, when you get down into the championship in the lower leagues, even the National League, that's rough and tumble football that we're all known, like we all know about. You know, we grew up, if, if you went down and played at your local your your local football field, you, that's how you learn to play, and that's what it is. You know, and it's most of these clubs were built on, their history were built on the fans, the supporters. And for this, for these clubs to just go and say, Fuck the fans. We want a massive payday, and we don't give a shit how we're going to get it. We'll create this league. We'll make all this money. To me, go. Let them go. Let them break away. Never let them back in the league. When this league that they go into, the Super League, folds five years from now, and they want back in the Premier League, if I'm the FA, I say no. If I'm UEFA, I say no. You wanted to take this chance. You wanted to break away. Do your own thing. You're not coming back in here and trying to fuck up something that we've got fixed now because you decided to fuck it up. So don't be, don't be going back and forth if this this league starts to flop. Okay, if, if you're going, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Yeah, and if they want back, they can either start in the National League or they can start at League Two. Yep. Yep. You have to take you have to take a momentous fine. They should if they're going to come back in, they start at the bottom of the pyramid, National League. Or League Two, or hell, let's make them start in the ninth tier of English football and make them come all the way back up. Let's see their fans pay to watch them play against Marine. When, okay, first of all, they're not going to have the players they have now because the budget won't be – they won't be able to survive. They'll go out of business with the budget they have. They just can't buy their way back up into this league. So if, if they come back, make them start in League Two, make them pay hundreds of – millions of dollars worth of fines and say, now you learned your lesson. Now you got to work your way back up Absolutely. and let's see what we'll see what the club's made of. Chances are they'll just, they won't know what to do. These owners won't know what to do because they're, they're used to making so much money. If you make them start in league two or the national league or even lower, they'll, they're like, what is this? What do we do now? And to call it a fucking super league is such a misnomer. I mean, you look at some of these clubs, AC Milan, no league title since 2011. Inter, no league title since 2010. Juventus, fourth in Serie A. Atletico, no league title since 2014. Arsenal, no league title since 2004. Chelsea, fifth in the Premier League. Man United, no league title since 2013. And I think the last time Spurs won, I was like... You know, I, I don't even think the Beatles had played in the United States yet. I think our parents were still kids at that <laughs> at that point. Exactly. Yeah. So. I think last time Spurs won anything, it was like 64 or something. 
Yeah. Which is just, and I mean, it's insane, you know, to call this a super league. Why? Because, you know, they have international supporters. I mean, and that's the whole point, though. You know, they don't, they don't give a fuck about the English supporters uh, mm-hmm. of, of these teams or the Italian or the Spanish supporters. They don't care. They only care about that international money. And mark my words, what's going to happen is they're going to play a lot of these games in other countries. They're not going to be playing these games for like Chelsea, for instance. They're not going to be playing half the games at the bridge. They're going to come over to New York and they're going to play where the Giants and the Jets play uh, at MetLife Stadium. Or they'll come to Los Angeles and they'll play in SoFi Stadium here. And, you know, and the American fans of the top six, they're going to fucking eat it up, of course. Mm-hmm. Because exactly. American fans are dumb. You know, yep. speaking as an American, American fans are fucking stupid and yep. they blindly follow it. They don't understand why this is so awful for you, like all of European football, not just the English game. Yeah. I mean, and it's one thing to piggyback off of that. You know, they say they come out and, and they set up the rules and, you know, how it's all going to be structured. Okay. It's supposed to be a midweek fixtures. Okay. So, Three years down the road, five years down the road, when this thing's going and, you know, it turns into, hey, and, and, you know, if they haven't been kicked out of the Premier League or Syria or wherever, whatever league they're playing in, then it, it's and they want to come over here and play the games during the week. That's not going to be as simple as playing a game on Sunday, getting on a plane and flying over on a Monday or Tuesday and then playing on a Wednesday. And then coming back and then having to play the following weekend. That's not going to fly. You know that's not going to happen. So then they're going to start to have to move their fixtures around and prioritize this Super League over Premier League games, FA Cup games, League Cup games, whatever, wherever it may be. And so it's just going to be a, a big pain in the ass. So like I said earlier, in my opinion, fuck them, let them go. Let them break away. Let them do their own thing. Let it fall on their face. Or it might be the pro- most profitable thing ever in the history of the world. And they may might make millions and billions and trillions of dollars. But to me, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't boil down to just all about the money. It's about everything else. It's about the football. It's about the small teams like us, like Barnsley. I mean, like teams that have that have grown up with football and their fans support them through thick and thin. Can you imagine if you've been a Chelsea fan over in England for like 50 years, you saw this team go from being absolute shit to coming from out of nowhere in the early two thousands. And now you've been a powerhouse for 20 some years. Mm-hmm. How do you think they feel, man? They're like, what the hell are you doing in my club? Right. You know, I bet you, I really, I'm, I'm really believing that there is going to be a lot of, aside from the moron American supporters over here, I think there's going to be a lot of people that jump ship, you yeah. know, and, and just, it. yeah, just lose it. their fandom. I've seen Chelsea supporters come out online and say, I'm going to start, as much as it pains me, I'm going to start supporting the villa now. Yeah. Yeah. Or, it, it, you know, they don't have a choice. Just pick a club. Just pick a club. If you don't want to be disrespected by your club, Pick someone else. Yep. It's only right right now. It, it is only right for them to do that. And I, I also foresee a lot of, you know, Phoenix clubs as yeah. well. 
Yeah. Um, you know, especially from a city like Manchester, where, I mean, there there are other clubs to support in the area, um, but they're, you know, they're much smaller and they're not necessarily in the city of Manchester. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm guarantee you, quote unquote, former supporters of Manchester United and Manchester City are going to form uh, a Phoenix club. I believe I believe if you go for, far enough down the pyramid, I believe there is a team in Manchester that is a Phoenix, believe it or not, it is a Phoenix club of, I think, Manchester United. I think Liverpool have the same thing. I think it's it was uh, a bunch of it was a bunch of um, just random random supporters that were fed up with. I don't know if it was the Glazers or somebody. They got fed up with the owners at some point, and they decided to start their own Phoenix club. And they're in like the eighth or ninth tier, I think. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe selfishly. Uh, as someone who contributes, you know, six quid a month to Bury AFC's, you know, Phoenix Club. The uh, it's called Bury AFC. It's uh, the Phoenix Club for Bury who folded a while ago. I hope that some of the folks um, support support Bury. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's one of those. Yeah, it's called their their club is called FC United of Manchester. That is the Phoenix Club. Semi-professional, semi-professional club in, in the Northern Premier League div division. So the seventh tier of English football is where that Phoenix club is. You know how many people are probably going to get behind them if they're like, fuck it, United's dead to me. Let's go and, and support these guys. That could be that could also work out for a, a, a seventh tier team like that. It could work out well because you're going to. You're gonna start to fill your your ground up more. Yeah, their ground probably only holds like maybe a thousand, two thousand people, but you you just don't know. You know, it, it could it could do very good things for them. Well, the makeup of the Premier League is going to be very interest. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do. I mean, because the FA, the Premier League, UEFA, and FIFA itself have come out and condemn this in no uncertain terms. I mean, are they going to follow through with it or is it just a hollow threat uh, about yeah. the expulsion? Because if That's... they're expelled, then there's no reason for them to play weekday games. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll go ahead and play on a Saturday because that makes the most sense. Exactly. Because yeah, they can get the most viewers. It, their, their desire here is to get the international eyes on these games. Fans who aren't going to care that they completely fucked the 14 other teams that are in the Premier League right now, the, you know, 24 teams in the championship, 24 teams in League One, and 24 teams in League Two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're going to try and take advantage, especially if they get kicked out of the league or do their breakaway. I like how they put it in fancy terms of it's a breakaway. I mean, it's just why? Why do it? Of course, if, if they break away, then, like you said, they're going to try and take advantage of playing games on the weekend, not during the week, trying to lure fans away with the enthralling matchup of Barcelona versus Chelsea or Real Madrid versus Liverpool. I mean, it's it's not going to – it's not – just just and stop. I, just and stop. I guarantee you, I guarantee you what's going to happen is they're not even going to contract with – you know, Sky Sports or um, 
with one of the other, you know, BBC or what have you, they're not going to contract with them to show the games. What they're going to do is they're going to have their own exclusive streaming site. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're, it's either going to be pay-per-view every single game or they're going to, you know, do the Netflix model and you'll pay your, you know, eight quid a month or whatever, what have you, in, in order to watch these games. You know, they're going to yeah. do what, what Peacock has done here in the United States. And you have to not only do you have to have a television subscription here in the United States to watch Premier League games, but you also have to have Peacock to watch most of this year. Most of Sheffield United's games were featured on Peacock because mm -hmm. just because of of who we are as a club, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, when we played one of the big six or when we played Leicester City or or Wolves, you know, those games, a lot of those games were were shown on on NBC. But most of them, most of our games, especially games like Sheffield United versus Burnley or Sheffield United versus Brighton, they were all on Peacock. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if this this deal from from the FA, UEFA, FIFA, if this if this turns out to be a hollow threat to kick them out. I'm really going to question myself being a, a soccer supporter, a football supporter, because if you if you're going to keep giving hollow threats in these big six clubs, you know I love that term too. When we started, that was fashionable. What about 15 years ago? You never before that you never heard big. It was six. big four even like what seven years ago. Yeah, so like, Tottenham wasn't even in the fucking discussion. Yeah, it, it's it, for that matter. Ne neither was uh, Manchester City t uh, more than ten years ago. Yeah, they were so in, they were in what what what's now the championship like twenty years ago. Yeah, and before they got taken over, they were fighting relegation in the Premier League. They were basically hanging on for their lives, and then they got bought out, and then all of a sudden they rise up the leagues. So, I mean, it's just if this. This threat is a hollow threat. It's just going to make me question, like, if this is the governing bodies of all these top leagues, why in, in inevitably these top these these governing bodies will probably get paid off, you know, because everything revolves around money nowadays. So bribes. they'll yeah, they'll, they'll take the bribe and they'll be like, OK, go on. You can stay in the league. You still play in all your domestic cups. Do whatever you want. Go play in your league. and carry on business as usual that that in my opinion is what is going to happen and that is really gonna that is really gonna piss me off as a yeah. as a football supporter and really question why i support something that can be at times so corrupt yep yep well i mean if that happens i'll be so glad we're back in the championship because then we don't have to deal with any of this bullshit yeah I mean, I'll be yeah so i happy to be back in the championship and yeah. you know actually kind of hope that you know we don't we don't finish top two or you know in a playoff position just because I don't want I, I don't want to deal with it you know exactly exactly yeah. I mean there already has been basically since the 1990s no chance and with Leicester City's 2015 championship 2016 2015 2015 championship being the outlier really I mean mm -hmm. it's been the same four clubs that have won yeah it has five clubs yeah it's it's not been fun i mean it, there's no parity in the league i mean that's that's probably like we talked earlier that's probably the only thing 
that is would would really help this league out is if these they broke away and it was the 14 teams that are in it left now and then the six teams from the championship the parity in the league would be pretty good yeah i mean we would we would go into a season and know that 12 losses weren't already on our doorstep you know right, right. we could compete against these sides yep Absolutely. And the prince said something interesting. He tweeted something actually pretty interesting earlier today. I'm not sure if you read this, Chad, but he said something to the effect of what UEFA and the FA should should do is just say, look, every single one of the players uh, that you have signed to your respective clubs for these 12 that are trying to break away, all of them are free agents now and you have to re-sign them again because they didn't sign up for this where they might not even be able to play in the Euros this year and mm -hmm. in the World Cup next year. And yep. I mean, you know, you look at a, a Christian Pulisic, just American bias coming through here. I, I, I'm sure he didn't sign up for that. I'm sure he wants to, he wants to represent his country. You know, yep. this is the best opportunity, selfishly, that the United States have had at finishing decently in the World Cup, maybe in our history. And between... You know, between Sergio Dest, who plays for Barcelona, and Pulisic. I mean, there are so many, selfishly, American players who are in these sides that, you know, that have signed up for this European Super League. They wouldn't be able to play for their country if the threats that have already been levied from UEFA, FIFA, so on and so forth, come, come to fruition. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals, you know, it's so early in in this whole pre we're still premature in all this stuff. So, I mean, like we saw today, James Milner, after they, they interviewed him after his game, Liverpool leads, and he said he was strongly against it. And, you know, the reporter tried to poke and prod and see if he could get it. Are any other players against this? Patrick Bamford come out and said he's strongly against this. And he said some of the boys at, at Leeds were against it as well. So, I mean, I'm just curious what these big six players are thinking because you you have to know deep down that there's some of them that want this and are like, you know what, screw it. Screw my international career. I'll just play for a Man City, make $400,000 a week and not give two shits about it. But then you have like these up-and-coming kids that want to take an opportunity and – in, in like Trent Alexander-Arnold at Liverpool, you know, Andy Robertson, you know, these, these players that want to try and do something with their international teams while they're still young. I mean, you can't fault them if they don't want to play for these teams now, you know, if they, if, if, if the, see, this is the biggest thing now And Jurgen Klopp said, said it in his, in his post-match interview too. He said, we're kind of blind to all this. And it's like, I don't know how much I believe of that because these clubs can't be negotiating, you know, under uh, under people's noses in without without people in the club knowing. Yeah. Okay. You can't tell me. You can't tell me the manager. It's a six you can't, billion dollar deal. Don't tell me that they didn't have knowledge of it. Exactly. You can't they tell know. me that. They they have the dollar signs too. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure that the managers at these clubs have the dollar signs in their eyes. Yeah, you know they see the writing on the wall. They see that yeah. this is how you know how it's going to go. And yeah, I agree. There are some players who are going to take the payday. 
and they're going to say, fuck off international club. Like, you know, but it, it's awful because it's, it's also going to decrease the parity at the international level. I mean, you look at Egypt and Mo Salah for, for instance, I mean, if he's banned from playing for Egypt, I mean, I can't really think of a lot of players that they have that are of that quality. I mean, he pretty much single-handedly has dragged them into world cup competition, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you just, you think about, uh, I mean, Norway, I mean, Norway is Holland. Yeah. I mean, and if he signs for one of these big clubs, uh, as it's predicted that he will in, in the summer, um, who knows? The, the one thing that, that is going to be the fly in the ointment is whoever is pulling the strings with the Super League, they are trying like crazy to get these German teams assigned. Right. Bayern, you got Borussia Dortmund. I'm surprised they haven't gone after Leipzig. But these two, the, Dortmund and, and Munich are the two teams that are, you know, at the top of the list. But, I mean, PSG it seems like, there. yeah, it's, yeah, it's PSG as well. But it seems like there's a little, I, I foresee PSG joining them. But it's just like the one that's could that could save the whole the whole Super League from starting is if the two German teams keep holding out and they don't let the levy break because if they if they sign this thing is this thing's going to take off with without a doubt. But if they keep giving stick to them and say we're not joining, we're not joining, find somebody else from you know whatever country you want to you want to put them in, go and find them. And if they want to join, fine. We're gonna we're gonna have our own little tournament over here, and we'll do our own little deal. But don't come bother us anymore. Well, I here's what I foresee happening is I do foresee Leipzig joining because mm -hmm. they've went and flouted the fifty plus one, one rule that they have in Germany mm -hmm. by basically having their only true like supporters, quote unquote, um, be members of of the uh, Red Bull family. Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, that's why they're so universally hated in Germany uh, is because they went and completely flouted the the rules. Um, yep. As long as, um, you know, Dortmund and Bayern Munich, as long as they're still supporter owned, fan owned, 50 plus one following the, the rules of German football. I mean, they have to have a vote. They have to have they do. Vote, I think in order to in order to take to take the team into the, the European Super League. So I can see foresee them holding out and maybe, you know, they'll maybe they'll be in the kind of wait and see sort of uh sort of deal, you know? Then you have to look like do they go to like where's the next country you can poach one from? Does Rangers sign up for it? Does I mean their budget is nowhere. Do no. they go to Celtic too? Their budgets are nowhere near these clubs. No. So at, at a point, and yeah, they already have already signed on, right? Uh, I think they're still waiting in the wings. I think they're one of. The, I don't think they're going to go in as one of the founding members of this whole deal. But I think once everything gets um, set in stone, I think they're going to be one of the because I think they want to have fifteen founding members. And then they're going to add five. They're going to invite fifteen members, or five more members, to complete to make it twenty teams. So it's like 
where do you go in do you go further down the the table in some of these leagues and risk having teams that just get absolutely destroyed by these teams that are getting the money but it's something like oh i heard the stats like 32% of 32% of all the revenue made go to the top 12 these top 12 teams and then it's something like 25% go to the top teams and then the teams that they are inviting in, the five teams that they will invite in or the seven teams that they'll invite in. So it's like these teams that that are setting in stone, this is we're going to be the founding members. They're going to make an absolute king's ransom amount of money by without even playing a freaking game, yep. man. It's stupid. And, and you have to look. I mean, it's no coincidence that I think five out of the 12 are American. You know, their owners are American. Yeah. And this is just it's the Americanization of football. Mm-hmm. Awful. That's what's killing it. Awful. No relegation. <laughs> no nothing. Yeah. You, you have nothing to play for. OK. If you're one of these 20 teams in here and you finish 20th, you don't get relegated. You just, okay, try again next year. You play for a team pot. That's, that's Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Does everybody that finishes second or from second down to 20th, do they get like a participation trophy? Like saying, hey, thanks for playing. Here's your cool $500 billion you're going to make this year. The price and, is money. And then, it's money. That's it. it. Yeah, that's it. exactly. No, no that's trophies, it. trophies, just money. That's stupid. It. So stupid. Well, we don't normally do this, but we definitely want to hear your thoughts on this. So, you know, if you if you uh, follow us on Facebook at the Red Half of, Shef- of Sheffield or follow us on Twitter, let us know what you think. We want to interact with more of you on a regular basis. And I mean, we really, I, you know, obviously a lot of people have already espoused their thoughts on all of this, but I want to we want to have direct interaction with our listeners and you know there there are quite a number of you now so uh you know if we did this podcast maybe earlier in the season we probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of engagement but based on how many of you have continued to listen to us week after week and thank you for that by the way um we definitely want to hear from you yeah for sure i mean